smile or is it a grimace? Is it grimly? What about Bob, Church of the Subgenius? What about the idea that the joke's on you? A little car shrining around with a million shriners in it, clowning out. What's have to do with the Masonic Order of the Royal Jesters? What are we looking at when we're looking at clowns? Clown face, clown core. Covering up thy real image to present something fantastic. You know, clowns and jesters, they're teachers of information. They're teaching us something. Sometimes it's scary. but Sometimes it's deeply occulted information. Clowns often make fun of themselves, where jesters make fun of and mock the royals, the aristocratic hand, others. They bring to light, or they characterize what people see. It's a, it's a little bit of a a microphone and a red nose and a looking glass. What's this connection with red hair and white face? You know, the Nephilim of it all? Something's going down. Somehow, in recent times, we've called into reality the idea of clown world. You see it everywhere. And the clown emoji is one of the most popular currently. It's trending. Then we've got the return of Harley Quinn in the new Joker franchise under the Gotham Batman umbrella. What's up with that? Harlequins, Harley Quinn, Pied, Pied Piper, Checkerboards, Chevrons. We got David Lynch up in here. The deeper we looked into this clowning situation, the more we couldn't separate ourselves. We got Marats. We got the Medici colors, red, yellow, and blue. We have Hopi Kachina Kosher as one of the seven tricksters or several tricksters because I was counting and there were a lot. I'm not sure. Is that a trick? We got Pennywise. We got Bozo. We got Piero. We have Mimes. We have Ronald McDonald. What about Charlie Chaplin? Was he a clown? Was he clowning? We got the Cheshire Cat. What's up with the big mouths? We have the famous Joey the Clown. I mean, this is the grandfather of modern clowns. Joseph Grimaldi. 
created that. Then we have these stories that go way back. Early clowns were priests at one time. You can find clowning stuff, stuff related to clowns as far back as Egypt. That's far back. What do we think about this? How far does it go back? Is there a relationship between DMT's clockwork elves, Joe Rogan spoke of? What are we looking at? Is makeup that we wear part of this somehow? Is there a connection here? What about drag queens and vaudeville? There's a lot of information to dig in here. And frankly, one of the reasons why it's taken us so long to create this next edition is because I couldn't stop seeing the connections into our prehistory. There are stories out there that say the black and white pattern, these Things that all of a sudden pop up in woo-woo videos where images of people start turning into these black and white morphed beings. Again, this looks very Kachina. And then if you consider the uncanny aspect of all this and you look at What does uncanny mean? Well, it means mischievous, malicious. It seems to be tied into something bigger here. What is this three-ring circus we're talking about? Is reality around us a three-ring circus? Send in the clowns. Because we need some laughs after looking at all the darkness going on here. But what about the mimes and the horror, the horror of it all? Where do we stand with this idea, this concept? Is it even possible that blackface could be considered clowning as well? Because it it came out of vaudeville, as something that was slapstick for ha-has, har-has, laughs. Now don't get all bent up because most clown faces, white face. Are we going to try for equality here? What about you redheads out there? Red hair and white face. Everybody making fun of that. Redheaded stepchild. This ties into the Nephilim again. Is there something deeper here? What's the tear? What about Piero and Luna? The sad clown. Everywhere we look, there's something related to clown culture. But I want to put out right now with the fashion of it that it was Kelly Hayer who coined clown core as a fashion situation. And 
we see that it's everywhere right now. So I believe it's Armani showing its clown core season this season, 2023, syncing up with, of course, the Joker. We've got it all over in fashion from Diplo, Lady Gaga, Armani, psychedelic clown filter on TikTok that went viral, Giselle's video, not just a year old, I believe, turning her into a clown. What about when Katy Perry had all those crocodile tears some years ago? Remember that short hair and her clown-like outfit, crying? What's up with that? What about the Swiss guard, y'all? Pied, those pied colors. Why are clowns tied into psychedelia? David Bowie, Harry Styles, pagan fashion. I mean, what's going on here? You go to any old sideshow, including Burning Man, and you will find tie-ins to clown culture, the flamethrowers, London's lover boy, Charles Jeffrey, all about the clown culture. Alice in Wonderland. What do we think about that? There's several images of the clown up in there. The Mad Hatter, the Red Queen. Again, that Cheshire cat with that big mouth. What's up with the big mouth? Then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, the blue clown, Ashes to Ashes, David Bowie's first video on MTV, I believe. It's iconic. Then there are headlines with things like why Israel is sending in the clowns to the COVID ward, Dream Doctors. This was from November 3rd, 2020. Dreamdoctors.org. You could, you could get this done. You could hire this. What about Julia Fox sporting some clown couture? Then there's the famous Anna Nicole clown tape. I mean, this was a hot mess, y'all. So as we peel back the wig, wipe the grease paint from our faces, maybe sit there with a cocktail or two to understand what in the clown is going on. You have found your way into another prima donnas of the gutter, and I'm going to bring on my lustrous, fabulous co-host, Miss Amy D. Amy D., welcome aboard. Oh, thank you so much for the welcomeness. What a 
episode it is to come back into the swing of things with such a wide open category. You know, you mentioned in your monologue uh, opening here that there was a grimace. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention that this month is Grimace's birthday. I think it's the first time they're celebrating it at Ronald McDonald, the other clown that's so famous. And you can get a purple shake. It's a whole deal to get you in there to buy stuff. But I do find it funny the year 2023, they would bring Grimace online to sell his products. They would have the Grimace shake and his birthday and of course, 2023, the birth year of the Grimace. So, amen <laughs> to that. Happy birthday, Grimace. As we talk about clowns today, uh, you mentioned it's kind of a daunting topic. There's just so much to cover. It goes on for so many years. And I think that's sort of the nature of the beast here, if you will, is that it is sort of this elusive topic that wears many faces, the 20-sided die, if you will. And I think mostly when I think about clowns, what comes to mind, if I really get down to the core of it, is the potential of everything. That it is the beginning of the tarot deck as the fool. It's the basis of, there's a makeup that you put on to say, cover your face. And so you're covering your true emotion, but then you're also kind of the whole thing is so uncanny valid to me, right? Because you have a smile on your face that's painted on, which is usually in contradiction to the actual smile or whatever, you know, look on your face there actually is. The exaggerated mouth, what an amazing, amazing way to describe uh, the theme of a clown, right? What is a comedian known for, right? But a free speech sort of bastion right now. And also I think of this popular motif, whether in emojis or just among the kids in the last 10 years to sort of like wink your eye and like stick your tongue out. Sort of an homage to I Look Dead, but also sort of an homage to Callie. Uh, sort of an homage to whatever you want it to be, but it does seem to have this like very destructive, transformative sort of death energy surrounding it. You know, we talked a little bit about McDonald's in the beginning, but of course there's Jack in the Box as well. So why are all of these companies using clowns as their icons, their logos? There's so much to this year of 2023 that, for me, makes me think of chaos, the unknown, and not even in the bad way, in the most fertile version of the unknown possible. And there is a lot going on this year, and... It is no surprise to me that it's a fashion movement that since the beginning of 20 or the I guess the beginning of 2023 it's really been hitting the scene. Harry Styles went to the Grammys basically dressed in his little onesie. Harry Styles who is basically an avatar for Pan if he was to uh express his character on his best day, he kind of walks the line of man female uh he gender bends he does all that so it again is no surprise that he would show up in this clown print onesie very uh fashiony if you will it wasn't necessarily would be the same style you would see in a three ring circus but i mean what are these award shows but their own version of a three ring circus and then we also just have this energy that's coming online in the last i would say 
since 2012 at the very least of we have a real chaotic feminine energy that's sort of piggybacking off of the manic pixie dream girl that sort of goes more into you know the harley quinn energy and it's a little more mischievous than uh the previous archetype that was brought online in the late 90s I mean, there's so much, there's so many places to go here, Nesh. I would love to see what you have to say about it simply because it is so incredibly vast. And I just want to see where you want to steer this ship, girl. Perhaps we should start with a couple definitions. We're going to look at the etymology of uncanny. So you cannot think about what it is when we're talking about Clown culture, clown core, all that we've mentioned earlier without kind of really seeing the connection to what is the idea of uncanny. I think it's an easy place for this conversation to get started. Uncanny, 1590s, in a now obsolete meaning, mischievous, malicious, 17th century, Careless, incautious, unreliable, not to be trusted. It's an old Scots and Northern English sense of skillful, prudent, lucky. Canny had also a sense of superstitiously lucky, skilled in magic, in Wright's English Dialect Dictionary from 1900. The first sense of uncanny as used in Scotland is awkward, unskillful, careless, imprudent, inconvenient. The second is unearthly, ghastly, dangerous from supernatural causes, ominous, unlucky of a person possessed of supernatural powers. From 1773, Uncanny appears in popular literature from the North, Robert Ferguson, Scott, with the reference to persons and in a sense of not quite safe or trust or deal with through associations with the supernatural. By 1843, it had a general sense in English of having supernatural character Weird, mysterious, strange. So we could go on, but this is absolutely, I think, hand in hand with the idea of clowns. I think that this is not far reaching. And also to look at this idea of uncanny just from the dictionary. So we looked at the etymology. Seeming to have supernatural character or origin, eerie, mysterious, being beyond what is normal or expected, suggesting superhuman or supernatural powers. Chiefly Scotland, severe punishing. So these things really, I think, pinpoint how we get to the clown idea that we have now. Prior to the horror aspect, which is modern culture, it had a different context. But in modern terms, we started to see 
the scary clown. Stephen King really gave us a good idea of that with Pennywise. And then when American Horror Story had a season, season four, that was devoted to freak shows, sideshows, clowns are in here. There was some dark imagery there. And during that season, there started to be a rash around the Western world of clowns being spotted, watching people in the woods. There was a whole bunch of this clowning around going on. And it became kind of a thing. Of course, we see the connection there. But when we're looking at this through the uncanny eye, as I said earlier, there seems to be a connection to horror. There seems to be a connection to nightmares. We've got Dreamtime Freddy, right, coming at you. So let's get to the bare bones here, Amy. I know that you wanted to talk about cloud and troll, and so let's start breaking it down from here. Let's look at some of the origins of all this. What do you have? Well, when I look up the etymology of the word cloud, it's a visible body of very fine water droplets or ice particles suspended in the atmosphere, which if I take that to a very symbolic level is sort of, I always consider a cloud as like a consciousness. And then the ice particles are the the most pure form of that consciousness. And so that they're being held and sort of suspended uh, before they're released and sort of still gathering is very interesting to me. Now, the word clout is interesting because it really has hit the culture, I'd say, since around 2012, again, as in the advent of the influencer, which is a whole different sort of clown, if you will. The definition of clout is influence or pull or a power or muscle. And so I think of what these two things having together is just sort of like energy sort of collecting. And eventually, just as the snow will dissipate, so will these ideas and they will sort of go out uh, into the world. But until that happens, it's sort of this untapped potential. So that's kind of how I see the word clown and clout and cloud all sort of coalescing and making sense together so much about what's going on right now uh is having to do with transformation when i think about cloud clout uh clown i think about this very obscured sort of notion i think about something that is sort of gathering all its energy the potential it doesn't really have any uh any direction it doesn't really have any morality to it it doesn't really have any sense of anything other than it's not really this or that it's this very limited transformative sort of energy which when we get into clown world is really interesting because what is one of the main uh mascots associated with clown world but world but pepe the frog so pepe is a really interesting character to me and how he translates into all of this because uh, frogs aren't really living in the water or on the ground. They kind of have this like dual existence. And so I think that if we think about what a clown is, we can't really put it in one space or the other because in some instances it's scary and in some instances it's funny and in some instances it's sad. 
and the the blank face or the sort of like ink blot Rorschached face that we're allowed to impose upon the clown will sort of determine what its energy is going to be. I mean, of course, there's the twisties and there's like the terrifiers of the world where those are intended to be really scary. But even then, I would say in this world that we kind of find ourselves in, not everyone is scared by the scary clown, which is sort of its own meta clown narrative, if you will. I'm one of those people. I've always loved the clown. I I collect old and antique clowns, and I really love to find them, especially like homemade ones. I just love them from the 1800s, early 1900s. I find them absolutely charming. And there's a whole culture out there that really loved clowns prior to the modern world, and there were, they brought fun and uh, mystery you know, they weren't painted as scary. They were painted as some sort of, well, they became otherworldly. But prior to that, with Joseph Grimaldi and Joey the Clown, that whole period from the early 1800s through the Victorian period, they were really quite charming. And there's plenty of paintings, classical paintings of them, uh, that could be cited right now as well. And then in that, we have, of course, the sad clown and the Piero and all that. But I was interested when I was doing this research, looking at the idea of the Pied Piper. So this is just from the Wikipedia page. The legend dates back to the Middle Ages, the earliest references describing a piper dressed in multicolored pied clothing, who was a rat catcher hired by the town to lure rats away with his magic pipe. So this went through the plague and everything, but there's a dark side to this. If they didn't pay the Pied Piper, and I'm quoting this from The Grim Truth Behind the Pied Piper. Um, This was in a BBC travel document all this is in our indices and i quote they weren't the only ones lured by his music though the rats when the town refused to pay the pie piper for his service the savior turned into a more satanic seducer and came for hamlin's children Entranced by the notes of his flute, the transfixed boys and girls followed the piper out of town and simply vanished. So we're seeing some horror going on here. And if you look at images of the Pied Piper, he's a classic clown. And again, this is from the Middle Ages. This this goes back. And so we have this idea of the duality that happens. And with this duality, there's this idea of pied. Of course, pied means two colors. So the etymology of pied is interesting. And this led me onto a little, little bit of a journey. So pied, party colored, variegated with spots of different colors. Hello, clown spots. That's one aspect of it. Late 14th century. As if it were the past particle of a verb, form, 
of the Middle English noun pie, magpie, in reference to the bird's black and white plumage. Earliest use is in reference to the pied friars, an order of friars who wore black and white, also in Pied Piper, the 1845 Browning's poem. So we've got this idea of pied, and we look at what we understand about clowns. There all kinds of polka dots. Then we have all the clowns in the stripes. And then we have the harlequins in the diamonds. And oftentimes the harlequins are tied into certain color schemes depending. So Venetian flag colors are often tied into this. Venice is very tied into the harlequin culture of it all uh, that ties us into the Vatican There's something going on here. And as I got deeper into this, and this is all part of clown culture, I started to understand that there is this aspect to the natural world. So we're talking about magpies, which again, pied. And there's lots of worldwide folklore about them. And mostly... It's all good luck. So with the magpie, many British myths hinge on beliefs that magpies are harbinger of ill fortune. Saluting magpies is an old English tradition and is said to ward off bad luck. Coming across a lone magpie, the current procedure is to say, Hello, Mr. Magpie. How are you, Mrs. Magpie? And all the little magpies. The superstitious can double down on these defenses by spitting three times over their shoulders and flapping their arms like wings. The French had a more positive view of magpies and honored them by tying bundles of shrubs such as laurel and heath high in trees. This is a remembrance of when chattering magpies alerted people of the presence of a wolf. Now, if we look at that idea with the magpies, with the pied coloring of the suits that we see, of the garb that they wear, especially in these early days when we're getting into what became what we know as the clown now, this is interesting because these traditions in the wild world inform superstitions that move from the wild into domesticated reality for humans into pop culture, whatever it is. So back in the day, this kind of stuff was what's equivalent to our modern pop culture. In China, magpies are thought to bring good fortune and killing one will bring the reverse. This just goes on and on. And it's a wonderful article that I suggest People look at the folklore of magpies by Rupert Taylor, and that was released June twenty fifth, twenty twenty two. And this is really, truly an easy tie in to make when you start digging down into what creates a modern day archetype. We also have clownfish. Everyone knows the clownfish, the clownfish that can 
get down and flirt with the sea anemones and not be killed by them. In fact, it aids them because it brings in the predators. So when I looked at clownfish, everything I looked around them, every mythos that I looked that involved clownfish, and I was surprised at how many there were, all of them were good some Native American tribes believe that clownfish are a symbol of happiness. Uh, in Celtic mythology, the clownfish is seen as a symbol of transformation and new beginnings. In Christianity, the clownfish is seen as a symbol of hope and new beginnings. On and on, it, it goes into Far Eastern symbolism. In the Far East, the clownfish is seen as a symbol of good luck and fertility. And so this was a wonderful read, Clownfish, Spiritual Meaning, Symbolism, and Totem, published June 26, 2022. That was in Spirit and Symbolism. So we see that there is a reach into the natural world. And as we're doing this reach, this is where we come into the Alice in Wonderland situation of the Cheshire cat. Now, how does the Cheshire cat play into all this mythology, overall overarching mythology of what this symbol is? You know, think about that. The Cheshire cat became visible. You see the smile and then he forms around the smile. He disappears and the smile lingers, this big, extra wide smile, real toothy. 44 teeth should ring a bell. And he's got wisdom. He's got information. He's a psychopomp. Isn't this what a clown is? When we start to look back at the idea of court jesters and shriners, shriners, masons the royal order of the jesters what are we looking at here we're looking at things that convey information to us but there's always a toll as we learn from the pied piper and i think that that's how we get into this really dark end of the deal here with the clowns that are bringing in something extra Amy D, let's look at Pennywise for a minute. Pennywise is a really interesting character that Stephen King developed for the movie It. He's sort of, I would say, one of the most... Let's start here. I was introduced to Pennywise when I was very young. My dad read me the book, and I didn't really understand the fear that it presented because in my young mind, it just was a clown with some maybe scary attributes. As I got older and I saw the movie, you know, again, uh, the, the new movie, I started to realize that the clown uh, sort of was a placeholder for maybe something that had happened to the kids that they couldn't make sense of when they were younger and it was a thing that sort of tormented them. I like the idea of the clown as a sort of psycho inspirational sort of character energy. Unfortunately, as you mentioned, when you invite that sort of energy in, there is a dual 
aspect to it. You, of course, get the recovered memory, but sometimes the memory isn't that good or we're not really prepared yet to carry it with us. And that does seem to be the the uh, foundation of that clown. However, the name Pennywise is really interesting to me because I think of Penny pennies being made of copper and copper being very uh highly symbolically affiliated with venus and blood of course and of course wise would be someone who is in the know or you know per, i guess perpetuates wisdom and i think of someone who a penny wise is simply also the name sort of kind of breaks down to this idea of Someone who is in the know of uh, something that is either under the skin or someone who is a predator or something that sort of, you know, a conscious action, perhaps in our own consciousness, that is both uh, tormentor and tormented. It's kind of a, a subconscious sort of vibe where it can't really tell the difference between the the laughing and the and the crying. It's it's that very thin line of the subconscious where it just sort of takes in the information as excitement as opposed to discerning whether the excitement is from a good source or from, let's say, an unwanted source. When we're looking at this, especially Pennywise, we're looking at interdimensional beings. Now, all of a sudden, we have a bridge to to all that. How many clowns are in the car? So now we're looking at ETs, and we're looking at at things that go bump in the night that masquerade as the old-school funny circus clown. And this can take us into a whole nother conversation, but it it is a whole nother conversation. And so we won't go there. But I just feel like Stephen King's Pennywise really opens the floor to how pervasive this idea is in our culture around the world, in our cultures. I was just going to say, you know, and I completely didn't even mention where Pennywise resides, which is not only in the gutter, but in the sewers. So underground, subterranean, doesn't really uh, appear to... There's a lot of underground symbolism surrounding Pennywise. That's what I was going to say. And I think that's so important to consider when we consider what the clown imagery is. And that, again, it brings us into all this other deeper woo with the inner earth the bowels of our system, and all that. But for me, Amy, there seems to be a connection here with some of the humiliation stuff that goes on that's involved with all this. What's the bridge here, and what what is all this humiliation stuff that goes on with clown culture? Well, this took me a little while to discern. I had trouble really trying to piece it together where – I don't understand what's going on, why we have to, you know, because when we think of humiliation ritual, we're thinking probably what's coming to mind is like some kind of thing that's happened on an MTV show where, you know, like Taylor Swift gets taken over by Kanye or Britney Spears shaves her head or something like that. And there is a level of, you know, keeping people in line with humility. But I think more or less in order to come into this new energy, this new age, 
this new clown potential um, for and see it for all of its potential and not just one-sided, you sort of have to humble yourself to it. And that might mean uh, changing your perspective on stuff or really taking it from a lot of people or just like having your own opinion about stuff and really holding strong. And a lot of people maybe uh, having opinions about that very loudly towards you. Maybe you're getting made fun of at work, whatever, there's sort of a toll that comes with having to have your own walk in this world. And I find the troll mythology incredibly interesting here because the troll, in in order to cross from one, let's say, you know, land into another, one world into another, and to traverse the abyss of the water, you have to pay like a toll you have to satisfy the troll and i think this is really interesting because the way that you do that is usually something that's a very expensive price or some sort of um i would say humility would be the number one thing that comes to mind here and it grants you passage so if you can withstand the humiliation of a bunch of people thinking that you are a certain way and you can still sort of know who you are inside for instance you have safe passage into the other place because you have earned the right to be there by humbling yourself to the fact that you're not always right. And that seems to be how it plays out in my mind. So you have this troll though, that's at the bottom of the bridge, not at the top. So you're having to do kind of come to terms with like the worst parts of yourself before you cross over into this world of, you know, um, clown potential. It does seem Yes, it certainly does. And it's it's interesting, as we're talking about all this, I didn't even think about this until right now, but Tammy Faye Baker comes to mind, and I remember people always commenting on her clown face makeup, how, you know, I mean, she was just, she was totally a drag queen. Bottom lashes, top lashes crying all the time, heavy, heavy makeup, so heavy that it showed up on TV. That's how heavy it was. And it's curious to me when we start looking at this, because who went through humiliation in modern times connected to religion and money and the cult that is ensued around that kind of evangelism. Tammy Faye Baker, she was humiliated a few times. Of course, her husband was too. But what was she up there? She was basically a clown and she would cry for you. She would make you laugh. And it's only one step away from drag culture, from drag queens. And when we start to think about drag culture. Drag culture is variegated. It's pied, if you will. And there's a lot of history with it. So we're not going to get into that. And that would be a very fun episode for us to dive into. I have always loved drag culture when it's in its appropriate place, which is an adult entertainment. And it's fun. It's usually campy and funny and uh, a good time in its proper place. Uh, you know, not 
not around children as far as any of the sexualized stuff because the drag culture that I remember and came up around was all naughty puns and sexual innuendos and all that stuff, which is great adult content, just like good comedians out there, great adult content and not great for kids. So let me get that out of the way. But when we're talking about drag culture, really look at how we've gone from just female impersonating to divine, which was over the top, absolutely clownish. We've got Trixie Mattel, and her makeup is very clown-like, and so many others. But these are you know, very well-known queens out there. And there are a lot of queens that are just doing impersonations of females and others, but it's still clown-like. Bianca Del Rio, extraordinary queen, comedy queen, clown makeup all the way. This, to me, is like the fun side, the good side of adult content clowning around, vaudeville-like showings of what this can be. Tammy Faye Baker is more of the sad, serious victim to what it all is. Who knows how conscious she was about all of it. But as I was following this trail when you were talking, I went back to Queen Elizabeth the first. There's a point in the story of Queen Elizabeth the first where she was very naturalistic and then she comes to this juncture in her early uh, days of being the monarch and she was looking up to the Virgin Mary and the Virgin Mary's at that time were very very pale paint you know they were gessoed and painted white and you know one could consider this an early version of kind of clown because the the makeup aspect is so uh, bold in some of these and we see it in the early period of some of the angels coming down too in in art in the rococo and all this there's just these high contrast colors a lot of extremely just straight up white face just like we see with geisha we can't leave geisha out of here but elizabeth had this moment of surrender where she needed to take her personal self out of it and give england an icon something untouchable and she transforms into Queen Elizabeth, the Virgin Queen. This is when she starts wearing the very bold wigs and the lead paint, thick white lead paint, and the very pronounced small bee stung red lips, etc. We start to see this idea of covering up something natural, what you are natural to present to the outer world, something else, a facade. And through the facade, one can put aside the worries of the human, of the hubris, and act from another space. So in the 
context of a monarch such as Queen Elizabeth, she can be the bride of England. She can be the queen of England and act from a place of omniscience and give the English people something to project upon, like like the Mary. And she was bringing in the Protestant stuff. So she was... She was having this moment about why is the Catholic Church so focused on Mary, the mother of God, and so she turns herself into the mother of England, Protestant queen. Drag queens, they give us this too. Tammy Faye Baker gave us this too. This becomes a bigger story. If you're actually digging into these threads to understand what it is. Why do women mostly now the culture is turning around? And I will say that this is this is not ubiquitous because we can go back to the late we can go back to France, especially France, during the reign of the Louis and uh to the height of of the French Revolution where we really saw a lot of this heavy makeup on the men, on the gentlemen with big wigs, white face, uh, and the women would have the patches. So it's very clown-like. The colors, very bright and vibrant. It's a showing. It's a status. It is... I am one thing, but I'm showing you this, and I will only show you this. Women in modern culture, until till the very modern, were the ones wearing makeup for quite a long time. To what? To look pretty? But where did that come from? Where is that standard from? Why is it we must cover up our skin or mask ourselves in these ways? We see this with the tri- some tribes in in Africa, the Somali people in the past, and the Maasai, and and usually with the gentlemen, there's something going on here, the covering up of what you are to present something else. Well, this is, this is a clown. This is what clown is. You know, there's this, this idea here, so... When we look at where did the word clown come from, the word clown entered the English language in the middle of the 16th century, which is the 1500s, y'all, that don't understand that. It came from Scandinavian, Dutch, and German words, meaning a block of wood, which gave rise to the words such as clod, clog, clot. In Yiddish, a klutz is a fool or a clumsy person. And there's more. These are definitions you can find out there. In 1903, plant physiologist Herbert J. Weber coined the term clown from the Greek word klon. And this refers to the technology of propagating new plants using cuttings, bulbs, or buds. And so this also leads us into what is a clone? How is a clone related? The definition of cloning is to make an exact copy of an animal or a plant. So if we're 
looking at this idea of makeup on people from Queen Elizabeth all the way through to modern women and men to filters on Instagram. What's going on with all those filters, the catfish filters? What's going on with all this? This is some clowning around. And who's the joke on? Is that catfish filter working on some of y'all? Then you get to meet that person and that's not what you saw. Who's the joke on? So when we start thinking about two-headed snakes and the world of politicians and the modern world of woo, where everyone's talking about, is that a mask? Is that Joe Biden wearing a mask? Is this a clown act? What's going on with all these clowns running the show? Or are they jesters? So there's a lot there to dig in to when we start peeling back the layers of what our world is right now. We have called in clown world. We've called it in. It's a clown world. Everyone's heard that recently. And I'm wondering, Amy, how does this relate to zero point and the egg situation? I just wanted to piggyback off of your lovely commentary on drag and first off quote RuPaul and say that we are born naked and the rest is drag. Amen. And Eliza Schlesinger has a, she's a comedian and she has a very famous special called war paint in which she delves deeply into the complex of women specifically in this instance. But of course, as we're learning, it applies to everybody of people putting on a new face and a new persona to greet the world. Now, what does it have to do with the new egg, you ask? The new age, the new era. I think we have called it in, but I think it was there to be called in. I think as the millennium you know, wrapped around and we became the year 2000, I think we, oh, and I think when the internet really became uh, something more that, that we rely on more than we used to uh, around 2008, which would be sort of like what I affectionately refer to as affinity, infinity on high. Uh, it was very clear that there were lots of new opportunities. There are lots of new ways of being. And this can also be evidenced in the way that we're seeing trans culture sort of take over American culture and the internet, which is interesting. Uh, I don't really have so much of a hot take on trans other than it is the mindset is what interests me more than anything else. How it sort of trickles down into 3D is for anyone else to have judgment on. But I think the mindset that comes with being trans of being not this or that is very much what we're talking about. And I mean this respectfully with clown energy. And I mean that not as one is clownish. I mean that as in it is neither this nor that. And it's on purpose. And it is with intent to perhaps create a thought pattern in the collective that gets people sort of seeing beyond the binary, which is very interesting that this new 
concept, this new egg of thinking would be found on the internet, which was born of ones and zeros, very binary. So I find that incredibly interesting. So I guess that's where I'm at with the new egg of it all. I think that the clown, the subconscious, this new way of being is clouding over our old way of being. And for some people, that is very tough. And for other people, that is very, they didn't like the old way of being. So they're very excited to sort of claim their stake or their flag or whatever into any of this new egg territory. And so there's lots of little mini battles happening all over this territory of the egg. In this instance, I do believe the egg is our collective mind, our collective subconscious. And it does make it uh, very interesting when everyone is sort of in on this programming level that you can sort of fight for your version of reality that you would like to see. Um, of course, it would be wonderful if everyone was able to conceive of an appreciation for the old reality that we are kind of missing more and more of every day as it erodes and sort of disintegrates into the ether. But I do think that there is a lot of opportunity in the upcoming time and in this new age, this new egg to, if you can pay the toll and sort of humble yourself to what's going on uh, and you can sort of take in what you're seeing with a neutrality, a zero point, a level of this is all just information, Neo in the Matrix style. This stuff, trying not to be on some level, trying not to be bothered by the things that are occurring, because the more that we are bothered by the things that are occurring that we don't like, that's taking our energy away from creating the things that we do want to see and. I mean this serious as a heart attack. Right now, the way the landscape is turning out, there is definitely a group of people that are interested in manifesting their reality. But what I think our group, our neck of the woods, loses sight of sometimes is that we also right now, because of the internet, because of lots of stuff, are have a, a lot more equal footing than we've ever had before. And that's not to say it's going to be a slam dunk or even a win, but it is to say it could be the fight of a life. And you really can lay your claim into the reality that you wish to see. And if the reality that we wish to see is something from the old world brought into the new world, then by God, fight for that, you know, with your mind, with the pen, however, you know, with your creativity, all that, that is how we influence the egg. And the best way to influence that egg in my experience is from a place of neutrality and trying to project the reality I want to see but I have to be able to accept that there are lots of casualties on the battlefield of the egg right now. And there's lots of stuff going on that are, is not going to be pretty. And so in that way, I have to humble myself to that situation if I also want to make a difference. So I have to kind of make this, it's, it, you take the good, you take the bad sort of deal, you know? And I, that is, I think, 
my ultimate, I didn't even know I was going to say that, but that is my take on the cloud and on the clown and on the battlefield of human consciousness right now. That's right. Everybody needs to stop clowning around and get serious because there's something else in that little car that all them clowns seem to keep piling out of. And we don't know exactly what it is, but it's time. I wanted to look at also some of this stuff that is tied into all this. Amy, there was the recent situation with Diplo wearing those mischief big red boots. Do you know about this? I don't know about that specifically, but I do know about those red boots. Those red boots, I can't think of who created them, but they are part of this new surrealist sort of fashion movement that everything in that perspective is sort of veering into a very smooth online cartoonish aesthetic. And so those big red boots are totally uncomfortable, completely impractical, and yet still we find people wearing them. Diplo was wearing Mischief's big red boots at a Madison Square Garden event, and these boots have really taken it, speaking of the troll toll, these boots have taken it. uh, This brand had an entire line that sort of highlighted the absurdity of, of I would, you know what, I would call it absurdity. I think it was highlighting the actual blend of reality and kind of cartoon in the internet and sort of an anime sleekness to it where there are actually no uh, angles or anything. As you'll see, they're almost impossible to wear. And so a lot of people tried pulling off these boots for a while, but, you know, much like the nature of these shoes, I think they accomplished what they set out to do, which was they were clowned right off stage. The comparisons to Ronald McDonald with those are right on. And with the fashion that's going on, especially right now with, I I think it is Armani that showed the clown stuff this season. It's everywhere. Of course, this is, this is all an agenda because we have Hollywood pushing out the film. We've got the fashion world pushing out the images. And then we have the over the top stuff going on with the clown violence happening and all this. But then these boots are so crazy. They just look absurd they remind me of the moon boots in the 1980s but on steroids and red and you know the red shoes are and they shouldn't red shoes shouldn't be relegated to the terrible things that we all think about them but there is this whole red shoes with the movement of human sacrifice and uh trafficking of children, etc. So it's just interesting that that's getting tied in here. And Amy, they really do look like Ronald McDonald's shoes. I mean, they just, they look so clown-like. It's hard to not see that. I was really, really 
happy to see that the world rejected these shoes. I was really excited to see that the internet was not down for it. I thought that was a really good sign, actually. So sometimes maybe it's good to have these crazy items kind of hit the collective as a litmus test to see, are you guys ready for this? And we collectively said, no, girl, we are not. You're not ready for this. <laughs> Put that clown on the back in the closet. That's right. Get that clown back in the goddamn car. <laughs> so TMZ released something that is intriguing that I was unaware of with the uh, new DC comic situation. Do you have anything on that? It's pretty interesting because it's tying into uh, the trans stuff. Well, I think if any character was going to be a male and get pregnant and like literally it says, according to this article, like the clown prince of darkness goes to the gynecologist. I mean, the whole thing just screams (laughs) absurdity. And like, I'm looking at this frame right now and it's like, yeah, there is somebody like in between, like, you know, hovering under the blanket in between the legs of a pregnant joker. Like, this is the kind of stuff that I know when the culture war really gets people going. And I get why. But I'm also at some level like this is the troll toll right here. Like if you it's it's supposed this is what I think it is. It's supposed to enrage you just enough to like either keep you out or to the point that it's supposed to kind of knock you into the new side, which is this is just absurd. And I think that when we can start laughing at it instead of getting angry at it, we have made a personal boon. However, you know, and I also look at it too. For a while, I thought, well, if I'm just laughing at it and I'm not getting mad, like I'm just allowing this stuff. And then I realized, like, girl, get out of your ego. Like, I don't have the sort of influence or power to make something like this happen. Like you said, we as a collective called this in, and we probably called it in like 50 or 60, 100 years ago, you know, by just very small butterfly effect movements. So this stuff got called in and now we get to deal with it. And I hope that it is just as silly as it seems. But girl, it is not lost on me. The idea that the metaphor of the Joker being pregnant, like what an incredible um, symbolism for what is happening this year. Also, the number 23 is very curious uh, as far as Joker is concerned, chaos, disorder, clowns, uh, you know, absurdism, all these sorts of things kind of go hand in hand with the unexpected 23. So I do find all of this, while there is an aspect of us calling it in, it seems almost like it was ready to be called in, especially just with the numbers and with the numerology of it. And, uh, you know, the fashion, the fashion people were just really ready to go. And I really think, like you said, going back to drag queens and war paint and covering up and masking, uh, what is this world that we just came out of besides a world where it was ironically a world in which we were being masked in the 3D, but if you're online in certain communities online, TikTok, Instagram, there was a real movement at that same time that was like unmask, which was not referring to your 3D, you know, sickness mask, but to the mask of your personality. And so it's very interesting that all of these concepts sort of come online to the zeitgeist at the same time. Again, it's one of these things that's really, there's an effort made here. And this is the thing that is interesting is how is this 
going down because we know that Hollywood and the fashion houses work together. We know how social engineering works. We've talked about that a lot. Our show's basically based on that. And so it's just funny. Bring out the laugh track that such serious fashion houses as Armani would in the spring coach airline really serve this up and they serve it up in a high fashion way. It's subtle. If you're not looking to see it, you may not see it, but if you're looking to see it, then you will see it. And it starts to be everywhere all over. And when we're thinking about how disclosure is going and with the stuff that went down in Vegas with that ET incident and that UAP incident, you know, there's starting to be something that seems like this is a three ring circus, but we're on the main stage now. And, you know, from the line I read it from Netanyahu in the opening monologue, to all this other stuff that's going down. I mean, we left out Kiss and rock and roll as a as a genre even with some of the heavy metal bands that really brought this into that field of all places, heavy metal and it heavy metal and uh the music industry has always really been part of clown culture. You know, there's the um, Queen, Freddie Mercury was was showing us this, and then there's Clown Posse, uh, and there's so Insane Clown Posse reveal artists lineup for 2023 gathering of the Juggalos. There's the Petal Palooza situation. They are called they called it the Clown Ride. Um, that you know, there's Renoir paintings, there's Goya paintings with clowns. It's literally everywhere. Back in 2001, Alexander McQueen released a ready to wear collection, and it was all reference to to this kind of circus de soleil, uh, beautiful, fancy stuff that only Alexander McQueen could do. But then we've got some of the prophetic clowns. And this may sound funny to some people, but I don't think the prima donnas of the gutter audience will find this funny. Krusty the Clown, The Simpsons. Now everyone knows that The Simpsons seem to be part of disclosure of what's going on in predictive programming in the world. It seems like everything we can look back at that happened that's big in culture, The Simpsons somehow covered first, or South Park, and these affiliates. Amy, what do you think about that through, say, Krusty the Clown and this kind of, I guess, pre, pre-programming or preceding stuff that happens in those kinds of shows, especially The Simpsons. I mean, we always have to give a serious eye to The Simpsons. 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of what came first, the chicken or the egg situation with the Simpsons. I was really on board with the idea that the Simpsons were... I don't know, maybe part of causal reality. And maybe they still are just because of their vast audience and the way that I believe that the the causal world works. I find it very interesting on the Simpsons front, though, that it is Krusty the Clown. So it's Krusty, as I recall, I haven't watched the Simpsons in years, is a really, um, he's a ha 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 kind of like chuckle clown on the surface and then he's sort of like a a degenerate dude in the background and the one thing i remember about his sidekick sidekick bob funny name uh bob uh he was like a very violent murderer and so these two characters that are supposed to be like kids figures you know interesting huh they turn out to be maybe the most like predatory characters on the show outside of some you know, not regulars on the show. But I think that is very interesting and also plays to the nature of what a clown is, which is you just don't know what you're going to get. And it presents as one thing and gives you another sort of like war paint. The reason that we have war paint is to sort of get out of character. And, you know, we use this in ceremonial magic as well. It's a way to get into a different frame of mind. And it's completely not a coincidence that the fool card the the clown card however is the zero card in tarot because not only is it that zero potential it's also all the other cards lay on top of it and so it is itself the bottom of like the mask of the archetypes encompassing all of the archetypes again this very clown what is it is it this or that it's kind of the all-encompassing energy and i mean truly if you're not like a christian i don't mean to say it's like a godly energy in that like it's a creative energy but it is in the sense that it is a potential to be anything anyone can make anything out of it they want to other than uh leaving it as it is which would be the way it was designed to be I would say the clown is a real uh, symbol of craftiness, of 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 making something and to making something out of nothing. I like the idea of the clot or the block. This, you know, the clay, the the something that can be molded into something else. It's a very shape shifty, transform transformative energy, and I think that's the uh the most important thing away from that we can take away from this is that just like crusty and just like bob they are not what they appear in fact in that instance they are exactly the opposite of what they appear to be and they are in fact playing on their communal roles as and relying on those to maybe get through the world and navigate the world in ways in which uh, if they had their full true nature on their sleeve, they wouldn't be able to navigate. So they are kind of Machiavellian in nature is what I'm saying. Yes, indeed. There are types of clowns that are kind of in the established closet, I suppose, that you could put on. Do you know what they are? In several cultures, the fool appears under the guise of idiot, trickster, harlequin, clown, or jester. In the Japanese story, Monkey, this character is portrayed as pig. In Britain, as Reynard the fox. And in the USA, Briar Rabbit and Coyote. Charlie Chaplin is the world image in modern times of this crazy, unpredictable, yet wise clown. 
They are incarnations of the irrational, the sleep or death of ourselves. They usually are clever enough to show themselves in a funny way or as having something about them that we can see makes them silly or idiots. This is why they disarm, as they point out, in a comic way. All of the things we dare not see about ourselves. The ordinary things we take for granted and yet we see them as the clown or comedian sees them as quite ridiculous. And just to add to that, there's a good article on the different types of clowns. This is from Trixton Entertainment, and this is just a fast rundown. But the white face clown, the august clown, the tramp clown, the character clown, the mime clown, the rodeo clown, which I forgot about, the creepy clown, <laughs> the jester clown. We have all these different types. Also, Amy, tying in the paranormal stuff that I think is very important, what do you have on that? There's a poltergeist clown? Yes, there was a clown in the movie Poltergeist. I believe its colors were red and black, just to get into the Pied Piper of the entire situation. And it sort of was the catalyst for, well, it was the signal of the catalyst for all of the paranormal activity. I know that the brother of Carol Ann had the the doll and the doll would start kind of acting up. And then, you know, I think that's one of the famous scenes where the doors start locking and then the, you know, whatever happens, happens. But it was really interesting with all of the themes in that movie with uh, regarding Indian burial ground and paranormal activity and the pleroma. Uh, it is interesting to think about how a clown was sort of the beginning of that tale as well, of the Indian burial ground acting up and sort of retaliating on the people who lived on it. Yeah, and see, these clowns in pop culture like that are important. It, we would be remiss to not mention Pris from the movie Blade Runner. The adaptation of Philip K., Dick's wonderful novel. So she is a replicant and she presents herself in a clownish way. And there's a really wonderful scene where they go and are looking for one of the developers as they're on their journey to, on their killing spree really to live. And so I always found that a really provocative image and I thought it was insanely deep. Now she wasn't presenting that way until later when she meets the you know one of the programmers who says there's a little bit of me and you and she is in his space and he's got all these automatons and clowns and just all this wonderful stuff that I just love this scene so much. But then we see the iconic thing here. She goes white face and spray paints the black around her eyes. And we got frizzy hair and we have Pris. Just iconic. There's also this lovely little history of clowning facts about clowns from the history of the circus site. And this little highlighted bit here, the first known clowns date from the time of the 5th dynasty of Egypt, around 24 BC. Later civilizations also knew about clowns. Early clowns were also priests, which we mentioned earlier, and their roles were almost inseparable. Clowns of 
ancient Greece were bald and wore padded clothes to appear larger. Ancient Roman clowns wore pointed hats and were the butts of the jokes. Italian Commedia dell'Arte of the 16th century introduced mass clowns, Harlequins, Piero. So as we're looking at this this history of the clowns, and we, we kind of circle back around to Harlequins and Pierrot's, I think it's worth looking at the idea of Harlequin as we see Harlequin in the modern narrative, which brings the prima donnas into this episode because of the the current movie that's going to be coming out with Harley Quinn as our queen clown. Miss Amy D, what do you have going on that? Well, I really keyed into the name Harley Quinn just now because I thought, gosh, it really just pings that Quinn is one of those names that means like the head of or the chief leader or basically queen is how I kind of shorthand it in my mind. So then what does Harley mean? So first of all, Harley is a unisex given name, which I find incredibly interesting given the nature of this conversation. And then also what it actually means is the name Harley means Hare's Meadow, H-A-R-E's Meadow. So like a rabbit or a bunny. You know, in the recent show on bunnies, I think it's very interesting, the Easter egg, if you will, of that, that sort of, it's the fertility of it all, right? And I think it's so interesting. So we have this real Hare's Meadow, so her area that she's allowed to go in, frolic in. I just love this name. I think it's really great given the times, given uh, the number 23, given the fact that this is really a time culturally that women are coming into the, the forefront. Additionally, not just in a way that's like kind of forced and culturally it's happening in a kind of an annoying way, but also just, you know, ladies are able to do things now that they once were not able to do simply uh, because of financial gain or whatever. So there's lots of things happening for women and there's a lot of, feminine energy in the mix here. And so I find the idea that we have this like trickster energy whose name actually means Hare's Meadow, Queen of the Hare's Meadow. I mean, come on. I think it's going to be a really interesting movie. I think Lady Gaga is going to serve. I think she's going to serve because I've truly is lover hater. I've never seen her give like a bad performance and I think that her with Joaquin Phoenix is going to be interesting and they're going to be telling a new tale. And I think that the more we pay attention to what Queen means, right, which again, Quinn, uh, descendant of Khan, head, chief leader, intelligence, wise, you know, and we consider what it means, uh, the Red Queen being off with their head and how these ideas might work together. We might see that there is, in fact, like a new, not a new, an old new intelligence coming online. And uh, I'm I'm excited to see how that manifests both in the culture and how it manifests sort of more organically among the people. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. I must admit that. Joaquin is my favorite Joker ever. I think they nailed it. 
I really have high hopes for this. I really believe Gaga can just, I'm sure she nailed it. I'm sure filming's finished, but I'm sure she nailed it. And the images are beautiful, absolutely beautiful. The costuming, the realness, the grittiness of this story came through with the first one that is very true to the original uh, darkness of this genre. And I'm a big fan of the Batman genre because I think that it really speaks to modern times. And I've talked about that in the past. So I was looking here and there's just so many wonderful things that show up in our indices here. So we encourage you all to check out our indices. And at this moment, I just want to give a shout out to our silent, unseen partner here, Noelle Jeanette, who compiles all of this information for us. She goes on the deep dives with us and then puts together the indices for you all to click on and enjoy where we got all our sources from. So huzzah to you, Noelle Jeanette. So this was in the notes here, and I just find it intriguing. Sacred Clown Religion, written and fact-checked by the editors of Encyclopedia Britannica. So, sacred clown, ritual or ceremonial figure in various pre-literate and ancient cultures throughout the world who represents a reversal of the normal order and opening to the chaos that preceded creation, especially during New Year festivals. The reversal of normality that is the distinguishing mark of the clown relates him to the powerful world that existed before the present one. And why I find this extremely provocative is in my studies here, trying to, I guess, pinpoint further what this is, that, and it, all it did for Amy, Noel, and I was open up the realm. This is such a deep, pervasive archetype that goes into prehistory. It moves from all cultures, tribal cultures on up to high society like the French court of the 18th century. There's something going on with this idea that helped form the world we live in now. There are hints to this through the David Lynch's work. Not just one, David Lynch has put in many clues from Eraserhead to an uh, early, an, that's a seven, 1977 film that was the first film I recall seeing from David Lynch. I know he was doing other stuff. I was in the Midwest too in that area where he lives and they would play his stuff uh, on the local channels at night. And so I grew up with David Lynch, but I noticed back then even that there was a trend with stuff that seemed clownish in his work down to the Chevron stuff that we see in the in the Black Lodge Twin Peaks stuff into a couple of his shorts Girl, that character in Lost Highway I can't think of its name but it's like the do you know what I'm talking about the yes. white-faced man Yes 
Yes. That, the minute you said David Lynch, it was like back to being 17. <laughs> right. Well, air out of my mind out of that one character. <laughs> I know. Well, Lynch is amazing. I love that soundtrack from Lost Highway. Oh, so good. Mm. And so it's there. And also remember, Lynch brings us the interdimensional stuff. So when we're seeing that Chevron floor in the Black Lodge that is also in... um eraser head and then another shorty did which i'm sorry i can't recall the name of it right now is a minute long you're in an uncanny space you're in a counter space it is a world between worlds and that floor the movement of the black and white chevron creates this and of course the red curtains and all this you start to get a sense of something deeply religious going on i do and weird and uncanny because i think it's fair to say now that clowns really are part of this uncanny world that happens when we enter into a counter space and i think ultimately this is where it took me this is what was going on and I'm not sure where it's going to take me further because now I have my eyes to see for this. It's becoming more apparent. As I said earlier, I've always loved clowns and I have a a small humble collection of some really great antique clowns and jesters and stuff like that, circusy stuff. And I have found the beauty in them. I have found the folly in them. I enjoy the 1960s Harlequin girl paintings, those ones that everyone seemed to have from that generation in their, in their homes in, in the, you know, especially people in my age in the seventies, we had these on our walls and stuff and they had little dogs and it's everywhere. And those were big, the big eyed, children paintings with the harlequin outfits but the deep woo that i was mentioning earlier and that amy d and i've been mentioning throughout this conversation is there and one of the pegs on the board was these anomalies on tv and in video where you would see people their faces turn into these black and white patterns, like the Kachina ones, like the original Batman, the Jack Nicholson Batman and his group, his goons. They all had black and white outfits on, like prison outfits. And so this is tied into all that. And so with these anomalies happening in the deep woo of it, with actors and politicians and anchors on news shows where it would glitch and you would see black and white entities like they would turn into these like zebra-esque keith herring-esque entities and this formation would only happen around these figures it didn't happen across the whole screen it's not a whole digital anomaly it's only on the figures and this starts to look more like what Joe Rogan was talking about. This starts to look more like people taking DMT talk about with the clockwork elves and the clowns there that run the show from behind the scenes that are somehow tied into 
the eternal ribbon. And that, again, we look back to the, the Hopi and other, I guess, primitive, but not primitive to me, but to the outer world, more primitive cultures, more down-to-earth, more earth-cultured people have these in their lexicon. And so there's more here, and there's a reason why it doesn't go away. There's a reason why the Masons created an order, an absolute order, the Royal Order of Jesters, in lieu of the history of all this. This is very serious stuff. And I think the deeper in you look, the more you might find. We might find some of the core answers we're looking for because sure enough, where we are now, there's a disclosure going on from the government telling us that UAPs are non-human or operated. Some UAPs are not human operated, that there are non-humans. This is coming out from our government here. And that is something that's been very interesting because as the government has been telling us this, it's getting no sensationalized anything. Instead, we get dragged back into pop culture, the Joker film, Armani, this designer, that designer, this band, that group. I think that this is playing into the bigger disclosure of what this realm really is and what else is in the realm with us. Now, you can cast that any way you want. This could be a bad thing. It could be a good thing. It could be neutral. But what I do think is that we're scrubbing the grease paint off. We're taking off the red wigs or the green wigs, the rainbow wigs. We're getting out of those big shoes. And we're going to start looking in the mirror and seeing what we are. And more importantly, what are those around us that have all been in clown suits as well? Because like RuPaul said, you're born naked and the rest is drag. And drag is clown core. Amy D., do you have anything you want to add before we wrap up this session? Oh, it's been such a great session. And there's a million things I can add. But I guess I would just say after listening to both of us talk, because I learn from you as we go, it really does seem like it's a very prima donna's vibe in that it's kind of everything is being presented at once. And so if I want to find fact or if I want to find truth, whereas maybe in the old world, I would go into the nonfiction section and look for my research. Well, now that's maybe not the case. Maybe that's where the lies are and maybe the truth is in the fiction. And so everything's kind of mixed up and upside down, but is it, you know, if you can acquaint yourself, it feels very 1984 freedom of slavery, you know, that kind of vibe of, it, everything is everything and it's all a matter of perspective to sort of find your way. And I would say that is in true clown fashion, both equally fascinating and terrifying. And that's all I got to say on that. Oh yeah. And if you want to find us, come to at Prima Donna's of the gutter podcast on Instagram, or you can look for us in the show notes. And you know, 
How many clowns can fit on that stage? How many clowns can come out of that car? Are you a clown? Is this a clown world? This has been no laughing matter. And yet, there's something funny about it in a bigger way. Something nervous about it in a ha-ha, nervous laughter way. But here we are with another episode of Prima Donnas of the Gutter. Amy D and I showing up for y'all. Reach out and clown around with us. Let's find out what in the hell is going on. Hong Kong. Ha, 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 ha.